Well, Chris, it's officially warm in Tennessee. I was going to say Texas because I'm just so used to reporting on the Texas weather. I haven't talked a lot about the Tennessee weather since living here, I guess. Hot and humid is what I hear. Yeah. I mean, like a week ago, I was still wearing a sweatshirt at night. It was like 40. And now the grass is on fire. I'm pretty sure. Figuratively. I guess. It may literally be on fire. I see some burn spots in the yard after like two days of sun. But yeah, it's uh, it's crazy hot. And the swim pool water is still cold. So you're kind of in that weird in-between phase of like the water hadn't really gotten warm enough to enjoy it. And it's too hot to be outside. I guess the short story then is you just jump into the pool with your sweatshirt on. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode 225. We're a quarter of a century past the second century. Really, it's only been about four years, but it does feel like a couple of centuries since we've been doing this podcast. It does. And I'm sure to many of you listening uh, can probably, everybody just went, yeah, mm mm-hmm, in their cars or wherever. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming back for another week. That, of course, is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. We find it very fortunate and we're very thankful that you're back again. That's the reason we do this show each and every week. We do it for ourselves. We do it for ourselves as well. It's a great way to kind of stay atop of different topics and uh, subjects in the space. But if you'd like to know a little bit more about the show that we're doing, the episode that we're doing, or the show that we're doing, uh, you can find out more over at touchpoint.health. That's the website. And you can certainly dig into the back catalog. You can search up there in the top of the uh, the website like you are used to doing across other web properties and find out all kinds of stuff. And what you may notice on some of those search results is that a show not called Touchpoint shows up. And those mm-hmm. are other shows on the network. So we've got about 20 of them now, different show hosts, different topics, uh, different subject matter expertise. So be sure to uh, kind of nose around who knows, you may find something else you're interested in. Would love for you to uh, subscribe and check them out as well. While you're there, sign up for the TPS report, weekly email that comes out. Just sent one out, matter of fact. It comes out every Monday morning, has five articles to get your week started, along with a few handy links to you know episodes that have come out, conferences, things like that. But five stories to start your week. Promise not to spam you. Literally, you'll get one email a week from us. At the very most, we'll do this. We'll pause for a second, let you go check out the website. Be sure to come right back and we'll dive into today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, 
understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, Reed, we're going to be talking about a very important thing that most of the people listening into us are concerned about and probably are thinking about a lot more frequently in this day and age, and that's strategy and developing of strategy. I think it sometimes is very hard for us in the hospital setting to be thinking about strategies because the work is so breakneck and there's always something happening. This is probably one of the things, well, it's not, it's not probably, it is one of the things that we need to spend more time on. And to your point, you know, we're uh, kind of in the cycle of just the next meeting, the next meeting, the next meeting, and probably not something that we've really dedicated or set aside time to. So I know some organizations do this where they have like retreats or dedicated time where they look at strategic plans. And certainly as an organization, people have strategic plans and, and frameworks and things like that, that that folks work on. But I'm wondering if, you know, marketing communications, more specifically digital folks, if it's cascading all the way down to where we're really spending the appropriate amount of time on this. I remember too, in the pre days and the pre pandemic days where we would get together in a room and have a whiteboard and we'd be talking about strategies, a very proactive thing. I I just can't imagine a full day retreat that's done all on zoom, but certainly things are shifting very fast within hospitals and health systems. And there's this sort of latent need to return us back to whatever the semblance of new normal would be. And so to that end, this is the critical time for most of us to stop and actually reassess where we're at from our strategies before and how are we going to pivot those strategies moving forward. And I think the pivot part is the interesting piece because obviously there was a strategic plan. And I'm just going to speak to folks that were like on a calendar year. You left 2019 you started 2020 with a new strategic plan as an organization. You're halfway through, but you're planning, you know, for that June or July kickoff of, of kind of the next strategic plan. And even those that have three and five year plans and things like that. But anyway, so you headed in 2020 and then, all, you know, everything that happened that happened and everybody just went, you know what, let's set this over here for a minute because we were just <laughs> in the middle of trying to take care of folks on the front lines and, you know, provide uh, services to the community and, you know, help in any way that we could, certainly. Well, now we're, we're, we're starting, maybe, fingers crossed, kind of getting on the backside of that a little bit where we're looking at certainly about, you know, people returning to the facilities, both working, but also patients and consumers and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So now's the opportunity to think, okay, what has digital done to alter this? Certainly, what has the last 18 months done to alter this? But what has digital's impact been? And you know, how do we need to think about what you know, where we need to spend time and what that strategy is moving forward? Let's start first with that, Reid. Like, what is the state of digital marketing and healthcare? And luckily, there was a report that was just released from Greystone, the state of digital marketing and healthcare report. Sounds really apropos to today's conversation. Well, that's just right on. So let's uh, let's, <laughs> let's let's jump into that. No, everybody over at Greystone's great, and this is a great report. So I encourage everybody to check it out. First thing that they key on in this article is that the primary marketing goals for the coming, say, six to nine months, are to stabilize and drive volume. 
it's the acquisition side of the equation. So how do we get people in the doors? And so you do that through, they, they talk about the restoration of trust and, and safety in a healthcare setting, all those types of things. And we've talked about, I know we've covered that in some of the Gerard studies, the willingness to return and the safety and you know those types of things. But how do we get people back in? And they even go further to say that the predominant target audience is specialty care patients and select services. Another thing, too, that they kind of point out here, Reed, is that 33% of respondents indicated that they're going to continue to market virtual visits aggressively. And another 55% indicate they'll continue to market virtual visits as part of the overall marketing mix. So there you go. There's one aspect of digital that's suddenly now part of our strategy. And this is where the you know the pivoting comes in, certainly. This was probably not something that was super high. I'm not saying it was not an initiative. I know several organizations have done a great job promoting telehealth over the years. But now, you know, obviously it's more commonplace. Next thing they point out here, top two pressing issues for healthcare marketers changed in the past year to budget, which which improves significantly in getting the needed FTEs. So past year's issues of personalization and ROI dropped down the list significantly, they say, and concern over content marketing also significantly increased in the last year. So budget, how do we get more people? Like how do we get, we need help? You know, I've talked to several uh, folks that are running digital at large organizations, much like yourself, Chris, and, you know, asked really where the focus is. And one thing that came out of that, which I thought was really interesting, is we don't need more ideas. We need more help. Double click, though, on that issue around budget. They say that the study shows that the gap between the marketing budget as a percentage of the organization's total revenue grew in the last year, which is great. That's a good positive trajectory. But the mean number of FTEs declined and below the number that they feel to be effective. So now we have more, well, relatively more money. But like you said, Reed, we don't have enough people to actually do all the work that we need to do. Also, they say in here that, you know, although that COVID's had a negative impact on healthcare marketing, staffing levels and budgets that you just pointed out, the good news, good news is that 47%, so about half the folks uh, believe marketing has gained new credibility. That's interesting. I, I, I wonder, well, anyway, I guess you'd have to talk to the, the C-suite, the back end of that, right? But, but most of the people that think that there is some newfound credibility, most of those folks believe that that's you know, long-lasting, you know, that, that marketing has an opportunity. Maybe we've gotten our seat at the table. So now I do think if it's going to last, uh, that's up to us. Uh, yeah. It's not going to last just because it's going to, right? I mean, I think we, ha- we have to seize the opportunity. And again, this reiterates the point that we need to stop thinking tactically about all of our marketing efforts and being more and focus on being strategic and develop those strategies. And Reed, when we talk about strategy, typically there's sort of a handful of things that come along with a, a marketing or a digital marketing strategy, right? That we can name off the top of our heads, right? You know, when you think about a strategic plan of an organization, the mission, vision, values, the culture piece, the SWOT analysis, which we'll get to in a second, all parts and pieces of that. It's funny how, you know, it's not just about growth, right? It's also about, you know, retaining staff. It's also about, so again, when you're thinking about the, strategic plan of an organization, that's when you start pulling in all of those other pieces that really speak to brand, you know, brand not being the logo, but brand being the brand. 
Let's go back to something you just kind of offhand mentioned, the SWOT analysis, because there was a really interesting Medium article that we've, we actually surfaced in the TPS report, which is that weekly email that Reid mentioned before a few weeks ago. And it was called, It's Time to Toss SWOT Analysis into the Ash Bin of Strategy History. Oh, boy. You could tell, first of all, that the author is English because he, he calls it the ash bin instead of the trash the can. Ash bin. <laughs> yeah, I was like, is that a trash can or an ashtray? <laughs> like, I don't know what we're talking about. But in either case. In either case, the author comes out very strong by saying, arguably the most venerable and frequently deployed analytical tool of all of strategy is the SWOT analysis. That is the strengths weaknesses, opportunities, and threats analysis, which came into existence at about the same time the concept of a business strategy was birthed. Wow. Wow. Okay. So pre-millennial. Pre-millennial, exactly. Like the 1940s or 50s, about that time. Interestingly enough, though, the author goes on to say that there is something fundamentally wrong with SWAT. Yeah, so he gets into the problems with SWAT. And so one of them is, given the millions, I feel like I don't know how we're measuring this. But anyway, <laughs> given the millions of person, person hours per year that are spent on performing and reviewing SWATs, not one non-intuitive strength arose out of a SWAT, not one fascinating weakness was unearthed, not one terrific opportunity was brought to light. Not one damaging threat uh, was anticipated. <laughs> Is that true? Like I, that seems a little heavy handed. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like probably. I think part of what he's trying to say here is that the people that are creating the SWATs may or may not have sort of that insight into where exactly those opportunities or those strengths or whatever are, right? It's kind of like they're they're navel-gazing. They're looking at their own uh, world from their eyes. Now, I will say the counter-argument of this is kind of in the same vein of if you can't measure it, you can't manage it kind of a thing. I feel like sometimes the the exercise of actually writing this stuff down, you know, allows for the ability to really kind of brainstorm and flesh out some things. So I'm not saying this is all bad, necessarily. He suggests that there is a better way to do it because, quite frankly, being unable to see the forest for the trees in this particular case, his implication is that every SWOT analysis is bland, generic, and undiscriminating. Let's briefly touch on some of the better ways that he suggests. So he talks specifically, which this makes a ton of sense, is to really look at an approach that analyzes or has an analysis based when you're clear on what the specific purpose is. So you can go a mile deep and an inch wide versus just kind of bouncing around the room, I guess. So that means, he says, that you uh, you do it up front with the SWOT analysis, but you don't attempt to make it excessively broad like the four-pronged SWOT. Here's the kind of the steps that he indicates that we should go with. First, start by defining the strategy problem you're, you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. That is, what is the gap between your aspirations and the outcomes you're seeking? Secondly, specify the form of the solution by a way of a how might we question. That is, how might we eliminate the gap that we're facing right now? Then imagine all the possibilities. You know, what, what choices are out there? You know, what, the potential of answering how we might questions to eliminate that gap. 
you know, this is where you get to really kind of uh, brainstorm, right? And kind of flesh out some things. For each possibility, he says, ask what would have to be true for it to produce a desired outcome. And he introduces a new acronym that we're going to start to have to use, Reed. What would have to be true, we could abbreviate as WWHTBT. I think I had a bracelet with that on it once. (laughs) WWHTBT. Identify which, what would have to be true elements you feel are least likely to be true and therefore are the barriers. That's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that. So, I mean, it's, it's a way, you know, what least likely to be true. But then he talks about then and only then when you have a precise understanding of both the question you're trying to answer, the standard of proof you require, the design specific test for the elements that are critical to your choice kind of brings it all together, right? And gives you that focus that you need, as opposed to trying to solve this very generic, bland SWOT analysis chart that is inevitable in every marketing strategy that I've seen. Interesting. Interesting perspective. We definitely encourage you to read more about this article. There's a lot of good information in it. Let's do this read. After the break, let's come back and talk about just healthcare marketing strategy. We found an article, the 12 actionable tips for 2021 that we could dive into. And then we'll uh, we'll set up a really great interview uh, later on the show. We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, Live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So now that we're not doing SWAT anymore. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) No, so, okay, we're going to dive in now and give you some practical things to kind of think through in the form of quote unquote actionable tips. Always love actionable tips. Yes. Actionable tips. So this is an article called healthcare marketing strategy, 12 actual tips for 2021. So they talk about, they set the stage a little bit first, you know, that they talk about the fact that healthcare providers have, and this is stuff we already know, right? They have to comply with various federal and you know, marketing laws and regulations, et cetera. They talk about HIPAA, GDPR, the Can't Spam Act, you know, things like that, right? So stuff that's not terribly new probably to us that are in this vertical or in this space. And then, of course, also that patient expectations have evolved considerably over the last decade. And I would argue over the last 18 months, probably even more so. Now there's more options than ever for patients to get care that they want for themselves, for their families. And you need to see healthcare marketing not just as an investment, but a necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I like those words. I like that that sentiment. I think initially, we've historically and predominantly been an advertising department. It's some smaller organizations, even where I was early in my career, a little bit of advertising and a whole lot of community relations. Uh, I went to a lot of chamber events, a lot of ribbon cutting. 
a lot of doctor welcome dinners, stuff like that. And there were some employer strategy stuff, but again, I, I don't know. I, I would be hard pressed looking back to say that it, it was a true marketing function. So now we're into this point for all these reasons that we described, whereas I like this quote from this article, they say the industry needs to make a shift towards creating organic, sustainable campaigns that apply core marketing principles and deliver unique differentiators to your customer base. Otherwise, the legitimacy of marketing for healthcare is called into question. It's kind of a nice little trumpet call for what we need to do. Yep. So then they get into these 12 tips for healthcare marketing strategy. The first one they talk about is stand out and be consistent. Well, that's easy enough. Let's stand out, right? No, but um, from a patient's point of view, they say most healthcare providers look more or less the same, right? (laughs) You know, it's the same stock photography. It's the same service lines. And I see this, you know, working on the agency side, I'm sure you have historically working at different organizations and agencies and firms and different things, but everybody wants to market the same, you know, cardiology, oncology, ortho, you know, I mean, you can kind of go down the list, but they talk about taking time to find out, you know, patient specific needs and pain points, look for ways to stand out, address the issues in a personalized manner. If there's a way to do that, you know, will really kind of put you out in front. The second one is kind of interesting because it takes a really sharp pivot from that to a tactic. Take advantage of paid search ads. Well, there you go. That's that's what you need. Buy your way to the top. They indicate here that pay-per-click ads can be tooled to be micro-granular in their targeting, generating those targeted keywords and key phrases that will command the attention and align with that customer journey is probably the best way to be effective. And moreover, they underscore the fact that you need to A-B test everything and Paid search ads or pay-per-click allows you to be able to do that because, quite frankly, what worked before the pandemic may not work now. And I think we'll continue to see the granularity of this and the micro-targeting take place. I, you know, we, I've been looking at and, and studying that there, you know, there, there's ways that you can actually target individuals based off of certain router activity. So if you wanted to put ads in front of people, and this is where some of the, you're getting around cookies, which I know I'm taking us off down a different track here. But, you know, if you wanted to say, you know, I'd like to put this ad in front of everybody in East Tennessee that walked into a Dollar General in the last six months, you could do that. That's kind of scary. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So I think, but that's where I think going back to the personalization piece, that's where some of this stuff is headed, right? And again, if you're doing it, in the nature that you're trying to help be helpful, personalize and get information in front of the right people at the right time. I think that's fine. I think we've got to be careful certainly about, you know, where that takes us potentially, but in any case, that's another show for another day. Third on the list, focus on how you can help. You know, I've said this for a long time is, you know, trying to be helpful, like through content strategy is a great way to get people engaged, no strings attached, you know, giving them information that you think about like athletic trainers, for example, or dietitians, you know, if you're sponsoring the big 5k or marathon in your, your community, put out a bunch of content about how to train and how to buy running shoes and how to, you know, all these things that don't directly bring revenue to you. But if you focus on helping people, It's a great way to stand out. 
in addition, number four, it says ask for reviews. What's interesting, we all know that, right? We heard that reviews are here to stay. So for those of you who are naysayers about honoring reputation, uh, that ship has sailed. You better be on the on board with that. But when you're asking for reviews, it really shows you really care about what people feel about you, what your customers feel about that experience. Make sure to not only solicit for reviews, but then respond to them and view those as great opportunities to understand the voice of the customer. Even when the reviewer might be unreasonable, it's a good indicator of what your marketplace is like. Number five on the list, partner with a healthcare marketing agency. Absolutely. Every time you should always do that. (laughs) Here's the deal. If you can do it in-house, I would do it in-house. It's really hard to replicate being close to the action, so to speak. And so especially from like content strategy, things like that, a lot of things sometimes are better served, you know, to be originated from inside the organization. Now, the idea certainly with with a marketing agency, it's just like buying or subscribing to uh, a tool, right, for internal communications. Let's say you buy an app for internal comms. Could you build that app? Maybe. But now you're getting to leverage all the feedback from all their other clients as well, right, and their development roadmap and stuff like that. So you can kind of think of it that way as it's, you know, you're getting increased expertise, more people, you know, that that kind of thing. So the next Three, we'll just kind of, just to get through the 12 here in in a sense of time, some of these are pretty straightforward. The first is build a mobile-friendly website. I'm going to say to you right now that if your website's not (laughs) mobile-friendly, you need to get yourself in in the game here and start to- Turn off this podcast. Go immediately, yeah, no. Delete Internet Explorer that's being sunsetted anyway. Get yourself on a new website that's uh, mobile-friendly. We think that's important. The other two are around optimizing for search engines, Make sure you do SEO. SEO is very, very helpful for you. And we, we'll get more into that next week's podcast about SEO and schema and all of that stuff. So that's a little kind of foreshadowing. And then more importantly, don't forget to optimize for the users. As much as you can get people and attract people to your web presence, your mobile-friendly web presence that you're using pay-per-click and all that stuff for, don't forget to also optimize that when they get there, that their experience is the best it can be. Make it seamless. Make it frictionless. The next couple also kind of go together. First one, number nine on the list, social media and healthcare marketing. I don't know that we need to sell the importance of social at this point. We've talked about reputation management and we've talked about all those types of things. But number 10 is also about the focus on content marketing. So these kind of go hand in hand. I mean, sometimes social is the distribution mechanism for content, certainly. But also content can be a place for community. Right. We talked about, again, talked about the reputation or the review piece, you know, things like that. You know, another interesting on the list, number 11 is the, the PR piece of this public relations, you know, getting your name out there. So we talked about sponsoring the local marathon and things like that. But how do you get your physicians? How do you get your expertise out in the wild? Sometimes that's a PR function. Sometimes it's a content marketing function. All of that certainly harkens back to social and, and the website being responsive you can see how these things start to kind of go hand in hand and and build on each other. Right. And I like how you left number 12 for me, Reed, which is tracking or measuring your marketing strategy. Use hard metrics. Look at really tracking the performance with your preferred analytics software solution and, you know, use the data in a way that actually informs what you're doing. I always like that you leave that for last, but I think this is the most important part of it all. I wasn't sure if we were still pro measurement or not. I couldn't remember (laughs) where we stood on that. So 
I'm all in on the pro measurement. So these are all great tips. Again, the link is in the uh, show notes, so you can go check it out and make that little ticker list for yourself of the things that you're doing for your marketing strategy, which leads us to this really great interview I had with Jackie Martin, who's a friend of our show. Jackie's great. Actually lived not far from me uh, in Texas when I was still living there. When I say not far, I mean, it was like hours away, but that's not far in <laughs> Texas. But uh, But no, she's great. She's really, really great. And certainly uh, a great friend of the show, very thoughtful, has done some really amazing strategy work in healthcare for some of the biggest brands and so excited to have her on. Yeah. And she and I had a chance to sit down and talk about now that we're kind of pivoting to this new state of where we're at, what are some of the things that marketers and and communicators as they're starting to double down and relook at their strategies, what are some ways for them to think more strategically and maybe even a little out of the box? It's a really great interview and we're going to run it right after this break. Welcome back to the SC Expert segment of the podcast, and I am delighted to have back on the show someone that has been not only on the Touchpoint podcast, but also on another podcast of ours called The New Normal, and has proven to be a very, very popular guest, and also someone that I just enjoy talking to, and that's Jackie Martin. Jackie, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. Really always enjoy these conversations, Chris, so I'm stoked to be here. Me too. I know you and I can just get on the phone and talk forever. And I always say whenever we have good conversations, we should record them. That's probably how I got into podcasting. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, Jackie, some people may not know who you are. They, They may be new to the show. Can you just share a little bit of your background and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in digital marketing for almost 20 years, which is hard for me to to, to say that out loud. And I've been focusing in the healthcare space as well as consumer brands, both of them simultaneously for uh, the last 12 years and uh, have had an opportunity to work with so many different health systems and have been an independent consultant in the digital strategy space for the last three. Yeah. I love the fact that you don't only work in healthcare, that you also have some other industries that you uh, do some consulting with, because that gives us a really good grounding perspective. We're always rife in this industry to learn from other industries, but you also very much understand sort of the, the landmines of our industry and what we have to look out for. Yeah. It's an interesting position when, you know, my passion is healthcare, but Working in the consumer brand space, you do look and you can see where we have so much room for improvement. And I I know that we talk about that all the time, and it can be really discouraging to know how far behind we are. But I think as a as a a good thing about healthcare is how much the healthcare community really shares information, which is not the same in other in other verticals. And so opportunities like this for us to really come and, and talk about these things and have frank and open conversations is such a huge plus for healthcare marketers in general. And I think it's really something that's special and unique uh, and why we're all looking forward to, you know, our next uh, in-person conference event. So that will, that will be fun to start kind of really sharing face-to-face again also. Yeah, I really miss those face-to-face interactions. But, you know, in the meantime, we have this and we have a lot of people listening in. And I think today I want us to dig into a topic that resonates with both you and I. When when I uh, suggested that we talk about this, you kind of jumped at the chance. And I'm really curious about your perspective. See, we're in a, in a space now, an interesting space, 
where many of the marketing and communications professionals in hospitals and health systems are now kind of facing post-pandemic rebound, right? We're really trying to figure our way through. Yet I hear often that many people think, well, we're just going to jump right back to what we were doing before, or we're just going to rebound the same way. And quite frankly, we're in a whole nother world. This last year and a half, um, and, and further, we're not even out of the pandemic yet, but the last year and a half has fundamentally transformed everything. And in effect, it's tr- has to transform the way we think about strategy. Absolutely. We kind of moved from a digital marketing world pre-pandemic into crisis communication. I mean, that's where we've been living, you know, in the lot for the last 18 months. And as we come back into it, I think the worst thing that we can do is go back to transitioning from communications into marketing, which is what we did 15 years ago. We don't need to go through that again because what the pandemic did is it fast forwarded everyone else by five years. So the digitization that happened over the last 18 months really propelled everybody forward. You know, as as you and I have talked about before, we have elderly people using grocery pickup, you know, ordering their groceries online who probably would have laughed at it two years ago thinking, I'm never going to do that. We have telehealth. We have all these new things that are in new people to the space that would have said that they never would have engaged there. So for us to kind of jump, jump into quote, traditional digital marketing, you know, we're going to, we're going to be behind. And I, I think that this is, I'm not seeing some, I'm not seeing good health signals coming out of the healthcare space right now. And I think we can do better. Um, I think we can be more strategic and we can do a lot better job and really capitalize on that jump instead of kind of just going into what's comfortable because we're afraid of, you know, what it might look like, or we're afraid of doing it wrong. Yeah, that is certainly true. We're afraid of failure, I think, is a, is a big part of this because there's a lot of pressure and stress on health systems, particularly the marketing and departments, to bring us back to solvency. Elective procedures were down over the last year and a half. You know, it all makes sense as to why it happened. But at the end of the day, we have this bottom line financial responsibility to the organization, and we feel this pressure to kind of stand up to it. I'd like to, though, before we get into that, let's let's take a step back. You just said something that I want to clue in on. Before, many years ago, where we moved from communications to marketing, marketing was evolving prior to the COVID pandemic. Uh, but I, I think that it was evolving at a much slower pace than the last 18 months has kind of in, installed on us. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that we were struggling to be more strategic pre-pandemic. And I think that it's just it's just made it worse. It's it's put hospitals in a harder place because for a lot of systems, revenue's down. Not for all, but for a lot. And and we know that when revenue is down, extra pressure gets put on on marketing departments. And so that that kind of creates this perfect storm of like, where do we go from here? And I think that that's, that's really where folks are struggling the most is, you know, it's, it's almost like, do we have permission to, to move on? Is it appropriate for us to move on? And then if it is, what the heck are we supposed to be working on? Because before we, we were struggling, you know, two years ago. Uh, and I remember we've had previous conversations about that struggle even before the pandemic. So this isn't new to us. Uh, it's not something that is going to take us by surprise, but I do think we have to be intentional about how we are moving forward. Otherwise, we're just going to kind of fall into those same patterns. 
Yeah, I think that one of the things that I want to clue in on is that marketing always has been wanting to, We've for years now, we've been wanting to kind of be the owner of understanding the customer better, uh, understanding their nuances, their preferences, et cetera, building experiences, digital and otherwise, where we can learn more and inform how better to structure a way to connect with consumers through our service lines. This is something we've been desiring to do. What I'm finding is now, here we are, Here, you know, we're recording this in May of 2021. Much of the organization is turning to us now and saying, yeah, well, that's what you want it to be. So that's where you'll be. And now suddenly we're like, wait, hold on a second. We don't have all the tools in place. I feel like marketing does not know the power it yields in, in organizations. I think that we tend to see ourselves as, you know, it, it's hard to see when you're, when, you're, when you're driving the car, it's hard to see who you are and where you can go. But I think what mar- most marketing actually is going to be the, the group that can propel the hospital system into a digitally transformed world because ultimately they own the message to the consumer. So if our entire goal of a strategic organization, which I really hope, and we can talk about how this is not the case, but if you are really trying hard to be patient first, if you're really trying to position everything that you do around providing good care to patients and helping them live out there, whatever their health is, whatever better health is to them. If that's your goal, then the relationship between the business and the end consumer, that messaging comes through marketing. And we have this opportunity to uphold that relationship between the patient and and their care team. We have the opportunity to kind of own the data that connects care into who this consumer is and where they are and all the things that they're doing. We're in this amazing position to really propel our organizations forward. And, and that is oftentimes missed because we're, we're so distracted with internal, trying to listen to all these different internal groups and trying to just push out communication, right, about the pandemic that we missed this opportunity that we're currently sitting at. And I think that that is where the people that will win are going to recognize that and really step into that role and run with it. Whereas the people that don't um, are probably going to be the hospital systems that ultimately lose to the fast paced digital world that we're going to be quickly progressing towards. Now you did say something interesting where you said that marketing kind of owns or, or, or helps to shape that relationship consumers have with us as entities. And I know that there are people that are listening in that, you know, are in a clinical setting and they say they, they may have stopped and said, but wait a second, typically that relationship between the patient and a health system comes through a provider. So help, help me understand, maybe our, explain that a little bit further. How do you see, where do you see marketing's role in all of this? I think this is, I've been uh, participating in some different conversations about that where we are seeing a com- commoditization of healthcare. So you look at retail health um, as an emerging market. You've got telehealth. And all of these are really about a service that's being performed. And it doesn't, to the end consumer, they're not held to that relationship with a specific provider anymore. They just need, they're looking for care. So like I I have pink eye, I'm going to go to urgent care. I don't really care who I see. 
we're seeing a shift that's that's taking place. And it's not that marketing will ever take over the relationship between uh, or get involved between a patient and their provider. We actually can we can hold that sacred. And I think that's where hospitals can play such a critical role as things continue to go through this transformation is that um, instead of losing patients to these other entities because of this commoditization, we can actually position hospitals and hospital care as a completely different experience because you do, you can, you can maintain that relationship between a patient and their surgeon. You can go in and really hold that, hold that and, um, and, and promote it. Whereas uh, if we're just trying to compete against all these different startups that are happening, I think that that's where this message gets really muddy. So I think marketing is in this really unique position to redefine what does care look like at our hospitals? What is the benefit to the end patient? And how can we make sure that we run with that and we carry that torch? Because a patient comes in and they're in a bad place. That's why they're at the hospital, emotionally, physically. And so we have this opportunity to use messaging, digital or, or digital marketing uh, and technology stack. We have all of these things here that we can use to really be the glue that holds that together and, and really focuses on how can we help the patient get better? How can we help them do that? And so I think that it's just a very special position to be in, but most of us don't, we're, we're not stepping into that. I like the fact that you, you refer to it as the glue that kind of sticks it all together, because I also think about the patient journeys are sometimes very different. And, you know, we see this in the traditional way that we kind of market our service lines. We're marketing orthopedic services and we're marketing weight room services and never the twain shall meet. Yet, oftentimes there are patients that do that have both with us, right? And so we can we can actually build sort of the connectivity among that broader relationship they have with this integrated health system that we we have. And that's a benefit that we can bring. Would you agree? No, absolutely, because we tend to think of it as like you said, all these all these different quote services and we have them siloed. But to a patient, you know, especially if you think of like cross functional issues like back pain or diverticulitis or some of these types of conditions, my daughter has a uh, a health a health issue that that we've been dealing with all 10 years of her life and so we have the privilege of going to a lot of different, <laughs> a lot of different doctors appointments. And, um, it's a very, it's a cross-functional care team. And, and I don't care about, you know, endocrinology versus genetics versus, right. I care about my, my daughter's health and the fact that these are different physicians in different departments doesn't, I don't care. I, I really don't. And so, but that's not, it's that whole outside in or inside out way that we look at it. And so we we have that tendency to push it from the outs, inside out and we say, well, these are different departments. And it's like, no, from a patient standpoint, it's really my needs with the services that the hospital can provide me. And then that's where marketing can come in and say, look, guys, I understand that we have departments. We have to function. We're a business. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a little bit of a different wrapper around this. We don't have to change anything about how we work internally, but what we are going to do is change the way that it's perceived externally. And that's where marketing has this just amazing opportunity 
to really shift that narrative and carry our hospitals into this next this next phase of growth. The other area I see uh, where we evolve is now we're starting to communicate with patients throughout their entire journey with us, right? It's no longer just the front end of bringing them in to be patients. It's now we're involved in providing consult around how do we re-engage patients? How do we bring them back post-discharge to ensure that we maintain that relationship with them? That becomes very important too. And those are areas where traditionally we as healthcare marketers don't spend a lot of time. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, imagine if you had, you know, a if Chris could go stand next to a patient throughout their whole visit, right? You like meet them at their car and you're like, where, you know, hey, where are you going? I'm so glad you're here. You know, um, all right, let me walk you over here. This is something for you, you know, some coffee. Would you like, you know, would you like some water? All right, now what we're going to do is take you up to the second floor. Um, you might have to go get some tests and stuff done, but you know that that can happen afterwards, right? And you're this narrative that comes alongside them, reinforces their choice in where they decided to get care, reinforces why this is a good place to be, that you're going to do the best you can to meet their goals. And then you're that person that would sit next to them when they get their bill in the mail to help them explain what it means. You would be the person that would be following up with them, right? And so that, that, that pretend person is marketing. That, those are our touch points. That's our opportunity to really come alongside a patient because when we start looking at revenue loss and what this looks like in the future, that is the advantage that a hospital system has any day over a new emerging technology or um, kind of these commodity services. So, you know, a Walmart health or, or other things. And so we have to start practicing now and doing that well because otherwise we're going to wake up one day and find ourselves in a race that's just impossible for us to win. The race has already started. We need, just need to get into it in that regard. So, okay, with that in mind, Jackie, uh, I know a lot of people listening in may be thinking, okay, so how do I get in the race? How do I make sure that I'm on track? What, do you, what kind of advice would you provide them? I really think that it's impossible, at least I haven't seen it happen, to just show up one day and be like, all right, guys we're going to start being strategic and we're moving out of this communications role, you know, and we're going to, like, that just, it's not, it's not practical. Nobody is coming to work every day thinking, you know, I'm going to be, I'm not being going to be strategic and I'm here to make sure we don't exist in 10 years. So I think that you, (laughs) you have to be very careful not to, you know, insult folks on what their motive is. Cause I, I, I think most of us, want this to work. We want to be doing the right thing. And so coming from that perspective that like, Hey, we're all on the same team. Let's figure this out together. And then marketing has this uh, opportunity to really lead the charge. And what I really love to start with my clients is you have to start with a vision. And this is, this is, it's really doesn't have to be that complicated. There's a lot of people that could you could pay a lot of money for, right? To to have them to find a vision, but it really doesn't have to. I would I would start out with just some basic um, patient narratives and rethink if we could start this today and um, not be withholding to any any way it's currently done. What would it look like for somebody coming into our hospital and just have it be like you know get a nice uh, if you're in in person you know, as the fall, as this fall comes, you know, get a nice catered lunch, get everyone buttered up and, and just ideate to say like, what would this look like? And, and really just start with a vision and, and, it, and it should be aspirational because with a vision, you're not saying how you need to do it. You're just saying what needs to take place. 
And because if you start getting into how, that's where we can get departments to start to really, well, that's my, you know, I own, I own CRM, not you, or, you know, there's no way that IT would ever go with that, right? We can start to get a little bit distracted. And so starting with some kind of a vision, and it it could be something as simple as like, somebody just writing it out in a Word document and and seeing what it looked like, or it could be getting your team together and ideating on, on a big whiteboard. But you would have some kind of vision for one specific use case. Um, start really small. I, I honestly think ortho is one of the easiest places to start. And then you're going to, to say, what could this look like? And then what does it look like today? And what is the delta between today and the ideal situation? And is there something really tiny that we could do just to see how it works? And, and make it have it be something that marketing completely controls get a couple uh, leaders in a space that you have good relationships with and just try a small piece of it because all you're going to do is have a win. You're going to, or you could fail, but you're going to learn something and you're going to have, start to create momentum. And all you're, all you're doing here is thinking, because really strategy is just a plan. That's all it is, but a plan to what? And I think that's where vision definition becomes so important. But if you can just start somewhere really small, that you know that you can control. And then you're going to start to create this natural momentum where you may now be able to jump to where it is uh, maybe next into it. I always like to go from ortho to like radiology. It's so random, but it adds this level of complexity. And so now you might be able to expand to another service line, or maybe you start to expand into another marketing technology solution Um, But you're slowly going to kind of create this really low heartbeat in your organization that's like, we're changing the way that we help our patients. We don't know what that looks like necessarily. We don't know how we're going to get there, but we're going to keep pushing this thing forward because we're going to fail along the way and we're going to learn so much. And then it's going to get to the point where it becomes so big that people will just now start to want to to come alongside you. And I've seen this happen numerous times. And it really kind of creates that momentum. Yeah, it, uh, the momentum. That's an important piece of this, right? Uh, it's part of change management, too. As we start to move right into what the new strategies are, losing that momentum is probably one of the most important critical takeaways here is you need to start small, is what I'm hearing, need to maybe identify uh, an area where we, we feel we can have the some impact, start to apply some of our new thinking and our new understanding of that customer. And then I, I don't know how many times we've mentioned fail in this conversation, but I think that's going to be part of our lexicon moving forward, right? These are experiments. We're trying things out because the modern consumer has shifted significantly and we need to raise ourselves up to meet those, to meet that new consumer where they're at. Yeah. There's always going to be a physician that's willing to try stuff, to try new things, right? There's always one who is just either like a, a technology dork, right? Who loves this stuff and who's willing to, to get their hands dirty. There's always going to be a department that's so frustrated that they're in, <laughs> exasperated, right? That they're willing to try anything. So who can you go to that would be an early adopter that would build that momentum? And again, it's so, it's, it's, it has this has nothing to do with hiring a, in a, purchasing a SaaS solution. The vast majority of this is all internal. So to, to think that you have to go out and purchase and have a big budget 
the most of this is cutting fat, not necessarily adding adding to it. When we start talking about like digital transformation and uh, being a strategic thinker, the vast majority of the the easy wins are all internal. And and I think that I think it is a um, misconception that it's expensive to do because oftentimes it literally is standing up a really lightweight database with your IT team, having a really lightweight version of something that uh, typically internal teams can handle. And then you're just, you're just running this through like a proof of concept. So there's really no, there's no cost to it to get going. And I think, well, if it's big, it has to be expensive, right? Absolutely not. Um, True digital transformation, when you're really starting to switch your hospital to be strategically thinking and to be patient first it has to be owned internally. It can't be owned with an external vendor um, because it will fail. It, it's just not going to work. And so, so that's the cool part about this is that we all have physicians or we have departments that are easier to work with than others. And then we all have a little bit of flexibility in our time and budget where we could have an internal initiative. Um, and we just start trying things. And, and, and we really start to move towards whatever that vision is that we identified kind of at the beginning. I like what you're saying. This is, this is some great food for thought here. And I think a lot of people listening in are going to walk away really thinking about some important uh, next steps and, and how to do this. But, you know, many of them are probably going to want to reach out to you. So would you mind, Jackie, sharing a little bit about ways they can reach out to you online, uh, post this conversation if they want to connect with you? Yeah, I love, you know, chatting on LinkedIn and just learning from others. I think it's such a, a great platform. So Jackie Martin out on LinkedIn, or you can um, reach out to me on uh, branchstrategy.com, or my email is jackie.martin at branchstrategy.com, common spelling. That's great. Uh, we'll link all to that in the show notes. So everybody listening in, don't worry, you can just go click on our show notes and click on through. Jackie, thanks again for coming back on. Always a great conversation. Always great insights that you provide us. I really appreciate today's dialogue. So fun. Thanks, Chris. Our special thanks to Jackie Martin for coming on the show again. Such a uh, uh, a great mind uh, in the space, in the industry. So excited that she uh, continues to answer our emails and phone calls so, um, <laughs> and come on the show. So no, it was great to have her on. Great yeah, to have her on. awesome. Another quick plug, touchpoint.health website, uh, the TPS report. And the reason I'm bringing that back up again is because down at the bottom of that email, you will notice links to upcoming industry education and events. So again, if you'd like to know when the next conference is or the next webinar, things like that, you can find it in that email. So every Monday morning this comes out, you can click through those few uh, uh, five stories that we send your way, but also some quick links as you think about planning out the summer and the fall, uh, where you may be going or tuning in uh, for some additional education. So be sure to check that out. And let's uh, do a couple of recommendations. Reed, I'm going to recommend something, a podcast. Uh, let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the game show, The Dating Game? Yes. So that was a, a show that ran on TV during the 70s, maybe 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. Do you know how the dating game is involved in the apprehension of a serial killer? You know, it's funny you say that. Uh, I don't know exactly, but this does halfway ring a bell. 
That's right. Because in 1978, a gentleman by the name of Rodney Alcala, he won a date on the dating game show. And that actually led to the apprehension of him because he apparently was a prolific serial killer. And he was in the middle of a cross-country murder spree when he appeared on the show. And I'm learning all about it in a podcast I'm listening to from our good friends over at The Wondery. Wondery have done other shows, Dirty John, Dr. Death. Yeah. By the way, Dr. Death is coming uh, to a television program soon to come. Yeah, so keep an eye out for that. But nonetheless, this is the latest uh, podcast from there. It's called The Dating Game Killer. And it's all about uh, this gentleman, Rodney Alcala and how he was involved in uh, the murder spree. It's actually a six-part series. When I listen to these, I feel like, you know, maybe I'm indulging in some uh, scandalous true crime uh, Mm -hmm. binging, but, you know, these are, it's really good, very interesting. And uh, quite, quite frankly, it's very disturbing to realize that a person of this magnitude that was doing so much horrific things actually won a date on the dating game show. It caused me to go out to YouTube and actually see his appearance on the dating game, which was really interesting. But anyway, the podcast is called The Dating Game Killer, and it's available by, by Wondery. And for anyone who's interested in true crime, I would suggest you go out and listen to it. Six parts, you can binge it through in you know, a couple of days. Crazy. Good recommendation. I have to go check that out. I'm going to recommend another bingeable option. Bingeable? Yeah, that's a word. Ted Lasso, which we may have recommended this. I can't remember, but it's a great show. Uh, It's an Apple original. Is that right? Is Mm -hmm. it Apple original? So you you have to watch it on, you know, an Apple TV or the Apple TV app, I should say. But man, it's great. Jason Sudeikis does an amazing job. The premise is, is he is a... Uh, American football coach that ends up overseas coaching what is more known as football overseas, which is soccer. Don't even get me started on that, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, it's a great show. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell too much more about it, but it's just so well done. Uh, season one certainly is, is been out for a little while now. And so you can go watch all of that. Uh, it was so well received. Season two will be out this summer in the next month or two. Uh, so it's a great time. Even if you've seen it, and it's been a while. Be, you know, it's it's worth going back and rewatching as it leads up to uh, uh, season two. So yeah, Ted, Ted Lasso. We're watching it right now, and it's just really great. We're watching because we got a new Apple product, so we got the Apple TV for a year for free, right? But it's definitely worth watching. It's really fun. So uh, good recommendation for sure. All right. Well, that brings us to the end. Thanks again for listening, tuning in, telling a friend, uh, rate, review, subscribe. We would certainly appreciate the support. Pass the word. Feel free to, to share the podcast, uh, have people sign up for the TPS report, uh, all kinds of recommendations. I see those as they come in throughout the week, and it's uh, it's really encouraging to see people continue to sign up and, uh, and download the show. So we certainly appreciate it. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.